Well, good morning, church. What a great morning to be with you guys today here. And whether you're here or online, we say welcome. Uh, we are in the third week of our series called Knowing God. And each week we are exploring the primary attributes that God reveals to us about himself. Now, each of these attributes is a window into the heart of God and draws us closer to him and encourages us to see the relationship that he offers us. The first week, Nate Russell opened it up and he walked us through Psalm 1 where we explored the foundational character trait that God is truth. We know that God is trustworthy. He's faithful. He's unchanging. He is the standard for what is true. And last week, Jonathan walked us through Psalm 23, that God is our shepherd. And God being our shepherd is much more than just a role that he serves in our lives. Shepherding is God's heart. It is who he is. He is our true guide, our provider, our protector, our healer. And being in need of him is a as a shepherd is a burden that I don't have to bear. My need for him is a great comfort and blessing that he is guiding me along the way of life. And this week we get to explore God's glory. And in order to do this, we're going to literally go through the whole psalm, Psalm 84. So I hope you guys will uh, read along together. We're going to read this first, and then we're going to break it down. So beginning at the beginning, to the choir master, according to the Gatith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And you see in your Bible, you'll see this word, Selah. It is in quite often in Psalms in Hebrew, and it literally means to let's stop and take a pause and let's meditate, let's exalt this last verse, let's lift it up, okay? So you're going to see this several times in here. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs, the early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Our word again, Salah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. 
O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Now what we need to do is let's, let's set us up for a little bit of context here. We know that Psalms, the book of Psalms, is a compilation of poems, songs, laments to God, and even pleas for help. The majority of them were written by King David, but not all of them. And this was one that was not written by David. Here's what we see in this psalm, and I want to point this out, and this, to the choir master, according to the Gatith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. If you had a Hebrew Bible with you today, an actual in Hebrew, this is listed as verse 1, because they include every verse in there. In our Bible, it's actually just a heading. But we need to talk about this. This is to the choir master, which means this is one of those psalms that was intended for singing. Many of them were a part of their worship. According to the Gatith, what is that? The Gatith is a type of a musical instrument that was used in those days. It's a type of a harp, probably. It's what most theologians think. And it says here, this is the psalms of the sons of Korah. So who are they? See, these authors that are associated with these are the Kor Korahites. These Korahites are set aside for service of the Lord in 1 Chronicles chapter 9. They were uh, placed there and they were in charge of the worship, the works of the service, and keepers of the threshold. They were the doorkeepers of the sanctuary. And this was a long-held position in the sanctuary, and it can be dated all the way back to the book of Numbers. In Numbers chapter 16 and 17, there was a man named Korah, and he led 250 others in a revolt against Moses and against Aaron. He wanted it, they wanted a change in leadership. But as you can imagine, they were defeated. The leaders stood outside of the tents in opposition, and God opened the ground up and consumed Korah and others. But there were a few that survived. The few that survived were given grace and then spared and were assigned to being at the temple, at the sanctuary. At that time, it was the tabernacle. And as we read through this psalm, we're going to see their hand all in this of what they're longing for, because this psalm is a journey, okay? It's a journey to Zion, which is Jerusalem, and this is where the writer of this psalm is longing to go, longing to be with God. Now, in those days in our Hebrew history, there were twice a year that the Hebrews had to make this journey to Jerusalem. We know it was in the spring for the Passover. We know it was in the fall for the fall feast, and particularly the last feast, which was the Feast of Tabernacles, or what they call the Feast of Booths. And most theologians believe that this journey in these Psalms is the Feast of Booths. They're going for that final feast of the year. The fall feast of the Feast of Booths is very interesting because Hebrew culture was agricultural, and in the fall they would go and harvest their fruit crops, their grapes, their olives. 
And when they did that, it was a seven-day feast. They would build these little huts on their land called sukkahs, and they would camp out and bring in the fall harvest. On the eighth day, there was a great uh, festival. There's also at the temple at the same time in Jerusalem is a water festival where the priest would go and they would get the water from the pool of Siloam and they would each day they would pour the water out praising God, asking him for blessing of their crops for the next year. So this was a very important time in the life of the Hebrew people. But I want us to break down this psalm and let's look at each section of it because, like I said, this is a journey, okay? So let's begin in, in our Bible in uh, chapter of Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God, think of this. This is their life every year. And they, you see the excitement that you hear in this. This writer is longing to be in the presence of God. And we understand that we're, they're talking about the temple. Because in, with the Hebrew people, God dwelt with them in the Holy of Holies at the temple in Jerusalem. And so... In the temple at the Holy of Holies, there was this strange and mysterious light that marked the presence of God there in that Holy of Holies. No Israelite was permitted to go into that area of the temple. Only the priest once a year on Day of Atonement could go there and make atonement for the sins. But just for them to be around the temple, in the courts of the temple, to be in God's presence was something for them. And we see this longing, this yearning from the psalmist here. Okay? We're reminded in another psalm, this, this, this yearning, this longing, when we hear the psalm singing about, oh, the joy of having God living in me. See, when we Christians talk about a dwelling place of God, we learn from the New Testament that we are talking about our own bodies. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. He lives within us if we're Christian. Therefore, we can read the words of this psalm and take them as an expression of the excitement that comes because we have God within us. There are three things here that the psalmist sees that marks his experience as he begins his journey. But it's possible that we may have God in our life through Jesus Christ and still not understand these things because we understand it only by faith. See, it is as we do believe that God is at work in our lives ready to do these things and we expect him to act in a certain way, right? It's possible that we're Christians in name only and that we haven't experienced that fullness, that understanding of who God is and is living in us. 
The psalm here is written to urge us to something more, something greater. And he's trying to explain it to us in words, and this is the only way he has to do it. We see here this inner beauty that God's create by just being in his presence. How lovely is your dwelling place. He is so excited about being just in his presence. This inner beauty... The place where God lives, the place where God dwells, it's lovely. It's a beautiful spot. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 3.17, he says, He prays that Christ may make his home in your heart by faith, because that heart then will be a lovely place. You see, when Christ is in us, the character of our heart is changed and really, in practice, maybe that means that, uh, should mean that we're easier to get along with. Maybe. Hopefully, we'll be less difficult to deal with with God living in us. We hope to become a beautiful person to the truest sense of that phrase. The second part here, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. Do we long to be in the presence of God? We experience Him in different areas of our life, but do we long to get up here on a Sunday and come and worship together and, and be one body praising and glorifying God? Have you known this deep-seated longing to want to know more of the glory of God, more of the sense of His presence in your life? Have you fed upon his word? And as you read his word, you go away wanting hungrier, wanting more and more. Because this really is kind of a strange paradox, isn't it? The more we're in his word, the more we desire to know what's going on and, and what he's doing, how he's working in it. This third part is a joyful vitality that the presence of God gives. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. This is an experience. It's an experience of what God does for us when we are with Him. Now, you may have been a Christian for many years and haven't found this type of excitement. But uh, I'm going to say here if you haven't, you haven't touch the possibilities of the type of life that God gives us. It's not something we just put on. It's not a mask. It's a real tangible thing. This writer is struggling to tell us about it, but the reality of it is it is something so great we can hardly imagine it. The next two verses describe the contentment we have when we're in the presence of God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Where? At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. And we get, get our word again. We're supposed to meditate on this. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. See, we mention here, the writer mentions here two birds, sparrows and 
swallows. Okay? These birds are frequently found all throughout Scripture. Do you remember when Jesus is talking to his disciples and in Matthew 10 he says about sparrows? He says, not one of them will fall to the ground without your father's will. In Matthew 10, 31, he says, you are more valuable than many sparrows. And in Luke 12, he says, are not sparrows sold in the marketplace for a farthing? A farthing is the smallest amount of money that you could, you could even think about. And see, what, we're, what the uh, psalmist is telling us here, he's recognizing that sparrows is a popular, there's popular symbolic for insignificance. Sparrows in our life, if we're a sparrow, we feel that we're not worth anything. The psalmist says here that the man or woman who feels insignificant finds what? A home of God, a place of warmth, a place of security, a place of life that is fulfilled. Yes, even the sparrow will find a place of usefulness in the home of God. But so too has the swallow. Swallows, they are the swiftest birds and they exemplify restless activity. They're used that way in scriptures as well. The swallows represent people who are restless, who are forever looking for something new. They settle down for a while, they get up, they try this, it doesn't work, they're rolling stones, they're restless, they're always on the move. But even the swallow, says this psalmist, finds home, a home with God and a place what? To build a nest and raise her, raise her babies. That's purpose and fulfillment. See, these words here are designed for our life. If you're restless, there's a message here. God is speaking to you. God wants to give you rest. You won't find it in your circumstances. You're not going to find it in your adventures. These things will pale on you. You will find it only as the psalmist says, where? At the altar of the Lord. My King and my God. See, I love these two phrases because they actually almost sound contradictory. You know, he does this two or three times in this psalm. First, he refers to the Lord of hosts. Think through this. What does that mean? It's the Lord of angels, multitudes, the Lord of many, the Lord of great crowds. The one whom all creatures and all life on earth depends on. One mighty in power who is able to meet the needs of thousands of human beings and creatures everywhere. And then he adds to this, my king and my God. We get a, a other, it's very personal. It's my king. He's my God. See, one of the glories of God is he can be both, right? He's able to do what none of us can do. He's able to give himself fully to the world and wholly to me as an individual. At the same time he's doing it, that he's doing it to everyone in the world. So this next section sets before us a description 
of what happens when God is at work in our hearts. Let's go to verse, we're going to read 5, 6, and 7 in succession. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Bacah, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Now, in, I want to ask you something. Many of you that are Christians and have been for a long time, when you get into difficulty or trouble, where do you find your strength? Have you found your strength in God, or do you look to the world for your strength? You see, he says here, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are the highways. In the original Hebrew, it's, you can take out the words to Zion because they're not there at the first Zion. It's, you know, so it says here, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are the highways. It's something about our hearts and the posture of our hearts. See, blessed are the ones who have learned this secret of their usefulness. Their strength is in God. They have made some type of highway on which God can work in their life journey through the mountains and the valleys. Remember, we're on a journey. And that's what this is talking about. But that journey takes us through a valley. And this valley is called the Valley of Bacah. And that is a valley of weeping. If you go do, it's full of balsam trees if you go and research it, but it is also a valley of weeping. Because here's what we know as broken human beings. In our lives, at some point, there will come periods of sorrow, despair, and discouragement. It's a given. But by our complete faith in Jesus and with the Holy Spirit living in us, that sorrow, despair, and discouragement can turn into a place of what? Fountains, refreshment, and satisfaction. Remember, Jonathan talked last week about the, uh, the 23rd Psalm. We walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, but we should not fear. Why? Because he is with us. His rod, his staff comforts us. And it's the same here. In the valley of Bacah with Jesus, we find comfort. And this is accomplished by and through the means of the Holy Spirit. This picture of early rain is a picture of the Holy Spirit. See, there is a picture in Old Testament literature of early rain in the prophets. And there's a picture of latter rain as well. The early rain and the latter rain in this Hebrew context is a symbol of the outpouring of God's Spirit. As the prophet Joel makes this clear, Pentecost was this occasion, pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And that's what's to referred to here. These men, these women that are on this journey, walking through this valley of weeping, are able to turn their sorrow, joy into something different, into pools of blessing, pools of refreshment, pools of satisfaction, only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we get to verse 8. 
O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. And what do we get our words? Selah again. Let's focus on it. Let's meditate on it. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Listen to me. Hear me. What he, the psalmist is telling us here, make us this type of person. Make us the type that goes to God in prayer. Help me to learn where my strength is and where it lies as I'm walking this journey and building these highways of God for God so I can walk through this valley of weeping. And make it a place for springs to go from strength to strength until God is seen at the end. Is that not what we want? Look at verse 9. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. See, I, this is a prayer here. Not only, I've, I've got to have your shield as well. You've got to protect me. Look at me. Look on my face, God. You know that it's okay to cry these personal prayers out to God. It's perfectly proper. The psalmist says, Lord, I see your blessing. I see your power in the lives of others, and I want this. Give it to me as well. It's okay to pray that way. It's never wrong to ask God to do for you what He wants to do. Lord, I want to find the way through this. It's okay to say, Lord, look at me. And He will. And here we get to, the, to the, where we're supposed to be. We get to the temple. In verse 10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The first reason he wants this is because life with God is better than anything else. There's no other place that's better. One day lived in fellowship with God is better than a thousand elsewhere. He says, I would rather be a doorkeeper. Do you hear this? this is, we know this is the uh, uh, Korathites that wrote this, the sons of Korah, because what were the remnants? They were the doorkeepers. But it was so great to be in the presence of God at that temple area that they would rather be in that position than live in the world, live in the tents of the wicked. Life with you, God, is so much better. Do we live like this? Are we so worried with what the world is showing us and putting in front of our face that we say, nah, I'll, I'll, I'm okay with that? Do we live with this, church? Verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. If I need a sun and I'm in darkness, if I do not know where I'm going and I do not know what lies ahead of me, I have to have the sun and it is God that is the sun because we are in darkness. He is so wonderfully adaptable to my need. 
If I need protection, he is the shield around me. He is guarding me. He is guiding me. Whatever I need, no good thing. No good thing does he withhold from us. Folks, this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus is our shield. He is our need. He meets our need. He is designed for us. He is the sun. He is the shield. He gives grace. He gives glory. It's, his, it's within his power to give us that. Keep our heart at peace. That's our inner gift is the peace. Glory is the outward expression. God gives us grace in order to bring us glory, and we experience it outwardly. We experience it now in bits and pieces, and we are going to experience it in heaven and then in the new heaven and new earth. He's constantly giving us that. The psalmist ends in verse 12. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. You know that we went through the Beatitudes here earlier this year and that Hebrew word for blessed is happy. Happy is the one who trusts in you. Who has learned that life with God has tremendous advantages. Again, this is not designed to make us excited merely on Sunday mornings. It's not what this is about. This is for our whole week. This is for the problems right now that you guys are facing, that I'm facing. This is young people, this is for you at school to help you through your time, through longings and yearnings of your heart. Adults, this is for you, your marriages, your families, your working world. This is for our senior citizens, our older people, our retired people, and whatever they're going through in health, limited income, facing loneliness, this is for you. Blessed is the one who trusts in God. Because just like this psalm, we're on a journey. We're on a life journey. And for the Christian, it's a beautiful journey. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't seem that way because we go through trials, we go through troubles. There's going to be valleys, there's going to be weeping. And as Paul said, we will have troubles and sufferings of this present time. But they're temporary. And we need someone we can trust walking with us through this. But see, the cool thing about this, the wonderful thing about this, we could even use the world glorious thing about this, is our end of our journey is where we really experience the fullness of God's glory. We get bits and pieces here, but it's not the end. That's mind-boggling. That's mind-boggling. See, we are not like the Jews who are still looking for the Messiah. We don't have to journey to a temple to be with God or around God. We don't have to wait as they're waiting for a temple to be rebuilt, to be with God. 
If you are in Christ, you have God in you. It is Emmanuel, God with us. Nothing like the glory that we're going to experience. Here's a verse, we read this in the New Heaven, New Earth series, and I think this is something that we ought to memorize and have on our lips every morning when we wake up, because this is our hope. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. It's Revelation 21, 3 and 4. We will forevermore live and experience his glory. He's the source of all things great, wonderful, beautiful, powerful. Jesus, the standard, the source, the object of all glory. And if you don't know him, I beg of you, give him a chance. If you don't know anything we're talking about, there are plenty on staff here that you can contact and we can walk you through it. There's no reason to walk through life without him. In the valleys, I can't imagine. Let him be your guide through this, your valley. He's truth. He is our shepherd. He is glory. Make him a part of your life. As the team comes up to sing our last song, it, it, it hit me in the first service. Our last song, we sing Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And it's so interesting because this feast, this festival of booths at that water ceremony, every day that that water was poured out, that's what they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. You know what that means in Hebrew? Save us. Save us. So when we sing this song, I want you to imagine that when we're singing it, our, our team is singing this and you're singing it, you're singing the Hebrew word, save us. Just let that resonate within your soul what we're we're singing to God because he is the only one that can save let's pray Jesus we love you we love the way that you revealed yourself through scripture we're so grateful for our journey that you have us on and you are walking with us each and every way through the highs, through the lows. But we're only able to have you as because of your work on the cross. That's it. And we say thank you and we love you. For those that don't know you, Lord, touch their hearts, open their minds, open their ears so that they will hear and know you. Let us as, as fellow Christians be a catalyst that we go and share this good news so that others will experience what we experience not only here on earth but in the future the ultimate glory thank you for your grace 
and your gift of love and for your salvation. May we do all things according to your will. We pray these things, Jesus, in your holy name and through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. Amen.